I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work to get seen without playing the Hollywood game. At least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down our 2023. So far. But before we dive in, don't forget that we make bonus content, including bonus podcast episodes available exclusively over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. That Patreon makes it possible for us to continue making this show. Uh, so definitely go check out what's offered there. Tiers start, I believe, is as uh, low as $1. But I mean, if you wanted to get more, there's even more stuff that you could unlock. But in any case, hello, everybody. It's our mid-year update episode. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, this is obviously a weirder year to do this since we're only releasing one episode a month, and I feel like we are do we're 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 a little more casual about a lot of the stuff. But you know, there's stuff that we can update you on. Some exciting, some uh, annoyingly vague, but <laughs> you know, that's what it is. So, Christina, how are you today? Um, I'm good. Today, I finally slept last night after a really bad week of not sleeping well. So, I'm I wouldn't say I'm well rested, but <laughs> but you're getting there yeah, yeah christina has uh transferred her sleep problems over to me because literally yesterday she was like i i'm working on something to get better sleep because i've had a cu- rough couple of nights and then literally last night i could not sleep at all so um she's a witch that's my update for the year it's the most important one so far but um i guess i'll forgive her because i wasn't sleeping well anyways frankly i can carry this burden I will do that for you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so I thought we'd start with a couple of quick strike updates. Um, since we're recording these in a more timely fashion now, we can do a little bit more breaking news style stuff. So like, there's not obviously big strike updates. The strike main strike update is it's still a strike. Three um, weeks however, a month, right? Like exactly a yeah. month. Yeah, June 2nd. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were recording this on June 2nd to uh, orient you in time. So perhaps something will have happened. Um, but uh, we won't know until next month what is happening with SAG, although right now they are currently um, asking membership to vote to authorize a strike. They unanimously authorized a strike vote, which apparently is pretty unprecedented for SAG. Um, and so now the membership is uh, is voting, and I think we will hear at the end of June. Um, what the result of that vote is, Mm -hmm. then they will start negotiating and then we'll see. I kind of think SAG's going to strike though. I mean, they only need 75% of the people who vote to authorize in order to like be authorized for a strike. But like SAG has just as much to lose to specifically the AI problem as writers and in some ways more because like the technology is a little bit more sophisticated to um, like fake somebody's voice or even like face because they've been using it to like de-age actors and stuff like that. So like those technologies have been in development for so much longer Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit easier to kind of skate over that. There's also been a recent, like, I guess I don't know how recent, but there was like a conflict recently where I want to say it was an Amazon thing where they uh, used AI voice uh, from an actual like AI voice actor to record some audiobooks, and it's currently in litigation. I'll try to find the article, but like they're already doing this. They're already trying to replace people using the work that they've done before to preclude them from getting work in the future. So like, hey, if you're listening to this, if you are a SAG member and you want to continue being a SAG member and you want to continue trying to make a living acting, 
Vote to authorize a strike, y'all. Solidarity is the only way we're getting through this. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It's just so wild because the people who are making the decisions, I mean, they're obviously just always short-sighted and we, we talk about this all the time, but it's just like, if we're all replaceable, then so are you. So they don't say it like that because they're special. Right. Of course. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot easier, I would say, for a computer to like do operations and run a company than for it to be creative. And Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like half of the people who get paid the most money in Hollywood are completely redundant positions. Mm -hmm. But because they have enough money to have power and enough power to have money, you know, the vicious cycle, uh, they are the ones who are making it work for everyone. It's very irritating. I guess the only other update related to the strike that uh, is that I believe I talked about this at some point on the podcast, but I, I have a part-time job uh, with the CBS Leadership Pipeline Challenge, which is a like nonprofit design thinking fellowship lab kind of thing where uh, they take assistant level folks at Viacom CBS and filmmakers from um, underrepresented organizations around Los Angeles and they put them on filmmaking teams. They give them a bunch of mentorship and education and then they go off to make short films for local nonprofits, uh, both as a training ground for indie film as well as uh, to give these nonprofits some cool new content to share. And uh, it's currently on pause. Literally, the strike was authorized, or the the strike like went live. And that was the week that our teammates were supposed to start writing their scripts Mm -hmm. so that they could go into production in June. They should have been starting production like today. But uh, there was enough confusion that multiple of the screenwriters that are at the program had reached out to the WGA to see like, does this count as scabbing? It's not a CBS production. We're not being paid to write. Like this is a an existing kind of like lab program. Uh, and also CBS doesn't own the content. Like it's owned by these nonprofits, which are obviously non-union. And the two people who reached out to the WGA both got different answers, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of an ongoing problem with the strike yeah. specifically related to like non-union people, which we talked about in our episode. Um, it's not been the most consistent, but like then the people who like the admin team who's in charge of the program went and spoke to the lawyers. And I think also WGA and ultimately decided like, just to be safe, since obviously a lot of the writers in this program like are in this program because they want to write for TV um, because there's enough of a gray area. We don't want to like, F them over. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I said F like I'm suddenly censoring myself. We don't want to fuck over these writers <laughs> in their future, you know, endeavors that we're trying to set them up for. So uh, the decision was made to pause the program indefinitely until um, the strike is resolved and, and they are able to resume working without fear of being seen as a scab. So that's obviously the right choice. Mm-hmm. I like, even if I don't necessarily think that what they're doing should count as scabbing. I understand that, like, it's a gray enough area that, like, better safe than sorry. Um, Also, a lot of the people that they would be, like, hoping for mentorship from are probably about to be striking or are already striking. So, like, the access they would have had anyways is a little bit more restricted. Um, But it's definitely frustrating, you know? Mm -hmm. These teams set aside, like, a dedicated amount of time to, like, go into production Obviously, summer is one of the best times to produce in Los Angeles for weather reasons and availability. But, you know, strikes are meant to be disruptive, et cetera, et cetera. So that's an update for me is that I'm and because I'm an hourly worker, obviously, I'm not getting paid right now. So 
that's too bad, but you know, it's a side hustle. So yeah, it's tough. Like I feel like this strike is much more complicated than last time because there's so much, I mean, we don't have a lot of transparency in a lot of ways, but there is much more transparency about who is kind of like attached to a thing. And so, so now there's just so many gray areas, but it's hard for someone to like not find out that information to say that they didn't right. know that like CBS was this, obviously this has CBS in the title, but in other instances right. like festivals where the judges are maybe from struck companies, that's a right. lot more. Trans- or the rewards is a, a meeting, meeting with right. an exec from a struck company. Yeah. So it's like harder now. The union has to draw harder lines than they did before mm-hmm. because it's clearer whether or not it's like directly actually feeding the pipeline for the studios it's still such gray areas that it's sort of safe, better safe than sorry, because right at the end of the day, what they're fighting for is the future of, of everyone who isn't even in the union yet, you know, and hopefully one day will be. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is tough when it's like strikes are supposed to be disruptive, but often because of capitalism and everything, they end up being more disruptive for the people that are really just like trying to get by and trying to be creative than for the actual people at the top, like the studios are already hemorrhaging money and don't seem to give a shit. So, I mean, they can't, this is, they can't go on indefinitely. Like at a certain they point, they're gonna have to be like. <laughs> I think it's just okay. like, I mean, they're obviously looking at the, you know, they're like a, a little bit, you know, quote unquote, a little bit of money now for the future of not having to hire people at all is what they're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. But it just goes back to like they are replaceable too in that future. So everyone should be banding together. And hopefully once, you know, the unions do, once they see that, then we'll actually start getting some regulation on AI within the industry, hopefully. We'll see, especially if SAG, like SAG, I think will be the most disruptive, um, obviously, because it's got like a billion times the membership of any of these other ones. And like, you know, you can theoretically be on set without a writer. Not well, but you can be. And, you know, the a director's strike, which is apparently not very likely, um, is a little bit more disruptive. But again, there's fewer members there. But like, if there's an actor's strike, they're fucked. Mm-hmm. So I really, really hope that SAG goes on strike or authorizes it. And that puts the fear in the AMPTP to get their shit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, for now, we're still kind of in a holding pattern. So solidarity to everybody. Uh, we made our bonus post for last month's episode with Brandy free on our Patreon. So if you're looking for a good kind of like uh, master post of WGA strike explainers, videos, uh, articles, things like that, um, then that's a good place to go and to point to people. It's a free post, so you don't have to subscribe to get access to it. Uh, so I encourage you to seek that out if you're still confused. I have use that to grant to a lot of people recently i got my haircut um a couple of weeks ago and in my hometown of colorado and my hairdresser who i've seen since i was five mm-hmm. um like didn't know what was going on she first she didn't realize there was a writer strike at all and then when i just sort of like offhandedly mentioned it she was like that what so what does that mean and i i spent like the entire haircut it was the easiest haircut i've ever had because i even though i have i love this woman i've seen her since i was five i'm so bad at small talk Me too. Oh my god! Uh, but then I didn't have to do small talk. I basically just did our episode <laughs> to my hairdresser. By the end, she was like, "Hell yeah! I'm glad they're striking. Good for them." 
you know, <laughs> that's been my month is just like explaining what the writer strike means to a bunch of people who are completely outside of Hollywood. Um, and like they, they're all sort of like tangentially curious about the AI part of it all. But when I explained like mini rooms and like uh, like staff writer quotas and the difference in residuals from a streaming show versus uh, like a network show with reruns, um, that's what really has been galvanizing people because they're like, obviously, and this has been a big part of the discourse is like people from outside of Hollywood assume that every TV writer is like hugely rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding how untrue that is and how much more untrue the studios want it to be uh, has seemed to be the kind of m- moment of aha. Yeah. The aha moment for a lot of the outside Hollywood people. So, hey, at least, you know, at least regular Joes are understanding the issue too. That's good. So, in terms of duo updates, I thought we could do our, our co update. We have a, not only a finished script. For our co-written feature, um, Breaking In. Breaking In. (laughs) (laughs) But we also have a first, or an almost first revised version. Yep. By the end of today, we will have a revised version. Yeah. And the notes weren't that comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Like, not not they were comprehensive, but like they weren't huge notes. Like we didn't, so far at least, have to do any major restructuring or anything. It was just sort of like little moments to push things further, moments where they're like, Punch you guys up. should maybe calm down a little. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the first third of the script is just like almost verbatim conversations Christina and I have during and after podcast recordings about how frustrated we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so fair note, fair note. Uh, thanks to friend of the pod, uh, Jerry Maravilla, for being one of our first readers and note givers, as well as friend of the pod ryan kramer who hasn't been on the pod but is still a friend of the pod yeah (laughs) he's been mentioned yeah he's definitely been mentioned before but uh yeah thanks to ryan and jerry for our notes um we're looking forward to having a new revised version and sending it out to additional people and then probably before end of summer we'll try to do a table read right yeah yeah does that seem like a fair timeline to announce (laughs) sure yeah I, i would say that's right initially we you know we this idea started because Back in December 2021, I became, I went into a deep dive into someone's social media because I was like frustrated with not being able to find a house basically and nothing happening with my career. Um, Sure. And then it turned into a funny story and Marie was like, this would be a funny movie. And we just- And I enabled her. Yeah, but then we like (laughs) dropped it for a whole year and then it came back around (laughs) this past December and we did our outline and then- I think we didn't really start writing until February or March, maybe. Yeah, not not until February, because like we did we did the outline at the end of last year, at the end of twenty twenty two. But then, like, I was finishing up NaNoWriMo that year because I, I had written three books last year. Remember that? Uh, and then January, uh, I was coming back to work, which is always like a busy time. And then I had a writers retreat with my husband for my birthday at the end of January where I was doing more novel stuff. Mm. So like I was not in a position to start working on this script. Um, and I think you were doing rewrites as well. Yeah, I was doing a rewrite. Yeah. I feel like for my last rewrite. I feel like both of us yeah. ended up with stuff in January. But yeah, then February we kind of hit the ground running and we wrote the full um script by like mid-April yeah yeah because we were like there was a there was a screenplay competition that's what I was going to say there was a screenplay competition in May that we were thinking of submitting to and then the strike 
happened and then we were like okay we can't submit to anything but we still made the deadline you know to have a first draft soon enough that we could send it for feedback and theoretically make a revision in time for the deadline um and the deadline has passed we haven't submitted so we figured what else can we do other than doing revisions is maybe do a table read and that'd be a fun way to hear it out loud and hear people react to it especially because it is supposed to be funny so you know if if people don't laugh that's a problem totally. yeah I feel like table reads for comedy more than anything are so so vital not just prior to filming but prior to final revisions because mm -hmm. like you know, there is so much difference between what's funny when you're reading it in your head yeah. and what's funny when you have an actual actor reading it. Um, also, especially now that there's a strike, like I do think that this will be a cathartic reading experience for a lot of our, our friends. Yeah. So that's definitely something that we wanted to capitalize on as well. Like the giving us a fun reason to complain together, but then also getting like a bunch of immediate feedback about like, does this feel real to you? Like, is it too real? You think this will make sense to people who are not, you know, us? Yeah, uh, because so it's yeah, like, I'm, I'm theoretically excited. Just for context, it's a breaking into the industry satire. And it's and it gets real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, too, it's like two frustrated filmmakers uh, attempting to break into the industry and who get like, waylaid by an investigation into a more successful peer yeah i mean i i love it obviously because it's so close to us and it feels right it feels timely and it feel and it's like duality is really fun because the way the same way the title has dual meaning meanings the whole script can be read as like a straightforward thing or as just all an allegory right um and so absolutely yeah no i'm really proud of it i'm this Me is too, the first feature that I've really written. Um, thank God you were there. <laughs> Having a co-writer was so vital. But it, yeah, every time we talk about it, it's fun. Every time we have a meeting about rewrites or about plans, it's fun. You know, who knows what'll ever happen with this script, but I'm glad we wrote it. Yeah, and co-writing has been so, such a fun experience because you're like, at least in my experience, I would be inspired by your new pages and that would just like get me Absolutely. going. Because, yeah, we did it basically like roughly 10 pages at a time each. Sometimes we'd go up to 15 maybe. And and I think neither of us ever went lower than nine. Um, but, yeah, it would just be like, okay, when one of us hits a wall, we toss it off. And then it was just a great way to move it. Like we really wrote it very fast because of that, because there was this like momentum each time we each got it. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And having that um, outline ahead of time and having really talked through not just like the beats, which did change, obviously, as we wrote and we realized like, oh, this is redundant or, oh, I think we can skip through to this. Uh, but also something that came through in the outlining phase that I think was really important was like thematically and motivation wise, like why characters were making decisions. Mm -hmm. Even if we didn't stick to the like literal beat we'd written down in the outline, we understood what that beat was supposed to mean because we talked it through and really broke down like why these characters are behaving the way they are what they actually want and what they're doing in the meantime because they can't get that for one reason or another and that was also really clarifying yeah. in the writing process and made it super super easy to change things on the fly even if like we did go pretty far away from the original outline so that was helpful too yeah for sure. definitely outline <laughs> yeah it's funny i was when we did um one of the things we did this year was do a 
kind of workshop, really just sort of a talk conversation at Cinema Femme uh, Film Festival. And I really, and it was that, uh, that workshop that we did was about writer's block, breaking out of writer's block. So I re-listened to our episode. And in that episode, I said that I don't outline. <laughs> and yeah, I think you did. And I was like, okay, well, that has changed in two years. <laughs> I definitely well, outline I, now. I mean, do you outline for just you too? Because obvi- I think in this case, like it was a necessity. It was a necessity for us to write together. But now I am very, I definitely w- would probably not outline as extensively as we did. But because it was like, in this case, we were each bringing something to the table. We needed to f- sure. really fully understand where we were each coming from. It absolutely makes it sense. a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. You, so need to, like, yeah, you need it like fleshed out before you can even bring yeah. it to page because it's like, what are we hinting at? Where are our clues? All of that. But um, sure. I do think that moving forward, I will do more outlining in general. Wow. That's been an evolution. <laughs> uh, all right. So how about you? Uh, is there anything you can reveal to the podcast audience? about what's going on with your career writing right now. Yeah, I'm trying to, so at the beginning of my mom, my mom had a heart attack over New Year's Eve. I feel like I should just put that out there. Thankfully, she's doing well and, and you know, I'm so grateful. But the whole first month of the year is like a total fucking blur for me because I was so stressed out and so uh, worried. And yeah, so like, I don't even know exactly the timeline but somewhere by March I did a revision like a final revision and so by the time March rolled around the script had been approved and we were like officially moving beyond that and I officially got to put my director hat on which was like such a relief um and and so we started talking about certain pre-production things while the team the production company I'm working with is not a struck company, um, but based on how much financing we need, the strike has now complicated like further reaching out for funding. So that's on pause. But otherwise, we got a lot like in that March to May window fleshed out in terms of like, where are we shooting it? And generally, I wouldn't say like, when, but the film is set in fall. And so it's it's always been a general like understanding that we are aiming for this fall. And the biggest progress really has just been like casting. Uh, I can't really talk about anything because nothing is nothing is anything yet. But um, I did get to, you know, write a letter to someone I am a fan of for a role that I always envisioned as like a scream queen from the 80s playing. Um, and so I got to write a letter as the director, of like, I would love you in this role. And so this person may or may not have read the script in my letter, maybe just their people read the script in my letter. I don't know. But uh, that's kind of like the status as of now. And things are just like, super, super vague because now we're on the cusp of other strikes right and so it's like we're still hoping that things will be resolved by the fall I also feel like you know worst case you could probably cheat very early spring for late fall (laughs) so there's that and most of the film is set indoors overnight like there are quite a few exteriors but they're all at night and so you know, movie magic, we'll see. But my my hope for myself and for this film and for 
for what I've been hoping for for so long is that it does happen this fall. But my bigger hope is that the strike or strikes result in good results for everyone who who is a creative in this industry, because that ultimately is what's best for me in the long run, right? And so like, I'm hoping that these two things can happen simultaneously and my movie can happen. And also we get good, good wins out of of striking. But um, at the end of the day, like that is obviously a priority because I want to have a career beyond just making my one movie if I, you know, hopefully do even get to make it. So yeah, that's where we are. And it's been, it's been like, it's been cool. You know, development was really hard. I spent a year getting notes. And I think part of it was like, they had other projects. So there would be months between revisions or hearing from them. But then once like we got to the end of that, it has just been like full steam ahead meetings and I've been much more in the loop as like director as opposed to writer doing revisions. And 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 the relationship was very vague early on because it was more of like a mentorship thing until it officially became a we're producing this thing. And so so yeah, it's been it's been really cool to finally get to think about the creative side. Like even if I haven't been working with them on that stuff I've at least like they asked me a whole bunch of creative questions in order to put together the budget and so I then like got to put that hat on and I put started putting together you know like sort of Pinterest boards for certain things like the set dressing in the house and things like that that are just for me just to be like in director mode for hopefully it happening when I when I wanted to this year so we'll see we'll see yeah, I mean, hey, it's still development hell, but at least it's new development hell. Yeah, yeah. And and I will say, you know, while it has been, it was frustrating, I learned a lot through the process, you know, and I feel like it's better. The script is better um, because it forced me to be creative within parameters. Like, okay, this is what we need out of this specific thing. And then I would go into problem solving mode to make sure that I came up with something that met that need. And like, that I think is where I thrive is like give me restrictions and force me to be creative with them within them. And I, I have a lot of fun with it. And so I found the fun in it. I found the fun in exec notes. <laughs> no, that's that's good. And I mean, you know, it's the indie filmmaker and you coming out. It's why it's so valuable to have made your own work previously, mm-hmm. especially with limited resources. Like there's making your own work when you're like a rich kid. Yeah. <laughs> There's making your own work when you're broke as hell and working three jobs. And I think that's the real like training ground for everything because that you're, you're going to have restrictions for the rest of your career, even if you have a relative blank check, you know, for making whatever you want once you quote unquote broke in. Um, and I just, I feel that having made it yourself is such an important part of that process. I cannot fathom these poor writers who are like not being given on set producing experience, let alone their own indie producing experience prior to that. Like I, I can't even imagine how I would think about writing. Like so much of my writing has expanded and evolved because I've been on set and it has made me a better writer and a more interesting producer. So I, even though the indie film industry right now is kind of a mess, I still really do believe in it. And I am so glad that I spent the time that I did and maybe in the future 
you know, making work for myself and my friends. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, my mom also had a, not a health scare because we knew it was coming, but my mom also had a health thing this year that certainly set me back. It's that it specifically set back our revisions by a little bit. Um, so my, my, the last month, uh, basically all of May, I was uh, home in Colorado because my mom had a hip replacement surgery and it was something that like in the past probably two years or so has been more and more like inevitable. Um, but like my mom had been experiencing like a lot of pain and it really came to a head in February, March. She was, she was in Los Angeles, um, and San Diego, uh, in the near beginning of spring, um, partially for a work conference and to visit my brother and I, cause she hasn't actually come out to LA since both of us lived here yet because of like the pandemic and everything like that. Um, and so she came out for the first time and, uh, she had a really hard time. Like we didn't do a lot of walking, but like my brother took her to the beach. We all went to the, um, motion picture or the Academy uh, museum. It's like the new Academy mm -hmm. Awards museum. Um, it was a cool museum. Um, and then we walked to lunch from there, like a half a mile. And like my mom is, usually is like a power walker, like, She's practically sprinting, but technically walking. And that trip, she had a really, really hard time like keeping up. Going upstairs was particularly painful for her because of like whatever was going on with her hip. So she finally, like at the end of that trip, she's like, actually not even at the end of the trip, like in the middle of that trip, she called her doctor from my living room and was like, get me a hip replacement. I can't keep doing this. Mm -hmm. She also has a very walk heavy work um profession so that that was whatever so at the beginning of may she had her surgery uh quinn and i my husband and i went to colorado to be kind of like her post-surgery caregivers it all went fine uh according to the surgeon things were even worse than we thought from the initial x-rays once he was actually like in there and looking at all the bones um so you know he was like it's I know she was hesitant to do this, like even up until like we were in the hospital pre-surgery and my mom was like, her heart rate was spiking and she was like, what if I just didn't? Do you think it would be fine? I'm like, mother, you can't walk up the stairs right now. Of course you need this. But anyway, so it all went well. That's good. So other things going on with me, mostly been romance stuff, although I did write a new pilot this year. Who knows? Um, did I text my writer's prefect? <laughs> I, I don't think I did. Whoops. She texted me three days ago. Whoops. Sorry, Sarah. Um, but yeah, so I've mostly, mostly been doing prose still. I haven't, the pace is not nearly the same as it was last year. By this point last year, I had written two books, uh, or two, one and a half, maybe. Um, this year I've only written like maybe a quarter of a book, although I am enjoying it. And this is weirdly, I am now anti-outline. Mm. I'm not anti-outline, but every time I try to outline this book, I just write more <laughs> instead. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of just like slow rolling it and just sort of seeing where it goes um, since like officially what I'm supposed to be doing is revising. So I revised the whole first book that I wrote last year and uh, have been querying it. And so far I have submitted 65 query letters to agents and publishers. I've gotten 22 official no's, uh, 23 probably no's, which I define as anyone who I haven't heard back from in three months <laughs> who... I have every reason to expect to have said no, because otherwise they would have contacted me by this point. A handful of them, uh, including one literally 45 minutes ago um, from my probably no list have reached out to say officially no. So thanks for that. Um, but hey, rejection. And then I have two maybes, although really it's only one maybe. So uh, the two maybes are there's one woman who um, after I submitted my initial query 
change literary agencies. And so she, I think, reached out to everyone and was like, hey, um, can you resubmit to my new place? Like, I might be interested, but it's like obviously a form letter. So I think it was more just about like getting her slush pile like moved to the new slush pile <laughs> rather than an actual like, I like this idea. So I don't know what to think of that. And that's that it's been a while since I resubmitted for her as well. So she's kind of a probably no, but I'm keeping her in the maybe for my vanity's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I did have uh, a publisher that I submitted to directly, an editor, reach out and ask for pages because that submission was just the query letter, just like the, you know, synopsis, bio, please God give me attention letter. Um, and so she requested the first 50 pages um, a little while after I submitted my query. So I considered that a maybe because hey, some progress. She was interested enough to read, mm-hmm. but then I haven't heard back and it's been like two weeks. So who knows? <laughs> Querying is hell. But I have to say, I do like this better than the screenwriting competition of it all. Because like one, querying is free. Yeah. I don't have to pay a hundred dollars for someone to say no or to give me a one paragraph like review that's like I don't think women are funny you know or whatever the screenplay (laughs) feedback is um but yeah so I like that there is this is the expected way to do it obviously it's still very much who you know if I happen to know an an author with an agent like that would be more helpful but it's not exclusively who you know so you know there's some benefits to that but I don't know I'll probably give up in a year and do self-publishing and just be the indie book equivalent of the indie filmmaker that I was before and who knows maybe that'll be the path I would hope to not do that because I similar to Casina don't want to do all of that kind of stuff (laughs) I want someone else to do the hard stuff even if I have to make compromises in the craft and vision in order to not have to deal with it but we'll see yeah um my five-star romances that I've read this year, in case anyone's looking for recommendations and for whatever reason is not subscribed to Force Proximity, my Substack newsletter that releases new uh, recommendations every Friday. Um, the five-star books that I've read this year are The Billionaire's Wake-Up Call Girl by Annika Martin, Happy Place by Emily Henry, Georgie All Along by Kate Claiborne, and we've got two Lenora Bell books. Lenora Bell was a new author that I started reading this year, and she has some bangers in historical romance. The two that I found five out of five were What a Difference a Duke Makes and For the Duke's Eyes Only. Two more books, uh, also historicals, that were five out of five, Chasing Cassandra by Lisa Kleypas. Lisa Kleypas, I understand why everyone was telling me to read her. I get it. I understand. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and then this one I read just a couple of days ago, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. This is one of what's considered one of the, like, most iconic historical romances of all time like it is on like every best of romance list uh it came out i think late 90s early 2000s so it's a little bit older and you can tell in some cases that it is 100 i get it once again i get it so those are my five out of five reads and then i've been watching more recently uh just because i was home in colorado and my mom was an invalid so we had <laughs> something and uh so we watched like the first seasons of a bunch of shows that i had either not heard of or had not a chance to watch yet. So my recommendations are as follows. So Help Me Todd, uh, which is I think officially a CBS show, but we watched it on Paramount Plus. I did not know this show was a thing. It's by the guy that created Wilfred. Um, It's really good. It's Skylar Astin and uh, Marsha Gay Harding. And it's like a buddy cop, not buddy cop, but like buddy mystery solving duo where Marsha Gay Harding is a lawyer uh, who wants to be named partner at her firm. And Tyler Skylar Aston is a down on his luck, 
private detective who, because of a thing in the backstory, um, has lost his PI license for now. And so as a way of helping him get his life back together, his mom hires him as an investigator at her law firm. So already, hey, no cop detective. Love that. And um, and every episode, it's like half legal procedural, half like detective story. So it's basically my catnip. And uh, it's very fun. They have really, really fun chemistry. They like the mother-son duo of it all and how she like thinks he's such a fuck up, but he's also obviously her favorite kid. It's so funny. Um, yeah, it's really fun. And they should hire me to run on it because it's a perfect show for me. Mm. And also I'd like to meet Skylar Atkins. Mm-hmm. That aside. So help me, Todd. Pretty funny. Uh, Poker Face and Girls 5 Eva on uh, Peacock. I haven't finished Girls 5 Eva yet. That was the last thing we were watching before we left. But you, I think, recommended it to me specifically. I understand why. Yeah, it's very fun. It is, yeah. <laughs> my, my, that was my mom's favorite thing that we watched. Um, she lost her mind. She thought it was so funny. <laughs> uh, then we also watched the first season of The Diplomat on Netflix with Carrie Russell. Very good. Feels very like Madam Secretary or uh, The Good Wife or, you know, West Wing newsroom kind of thing. Like, it's it's very, like, a liberal wrote this about a world where politics makes slightly more sense. Although to its credit, it goes a little harder on like the realities. Like the season ends when they're trying to negotiate a deal um, to like come out against a bombing that's happened. And like the prime minister of the UK like wants to bomb Russia and um, they're all trying to like talk him down. But like, ultimately he has the keys to the car and so like it was it's very interesting from like a perspective like none of the people who are working there are officially like politicians they're like they're diplomats there's people they're people who like talk to each other about how to make nice with each other and you know it's a lot of like talking and handling the sort of more volatile actual political figures which Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting um but yeah it had a lot to say about like extremism and um like knee-jerk reactions of nationalism to threats and stuff like that i thought it was good and uh, allegedly a second season is coming for uh, better or for not better off todd <laughs> uh so help me todd what what todd pun are they using both of those shows allegedly have second seasons coming so i'm excited about that um cool. and then for for more indie stuff the latest full season of uh dimension 20 the D show on dropout uh never after was very good it was a horror fairy tale season. They played the, this actually might be up your alley, Christina. Um, the D&D game that they play in is like a, uh, basically a fucked up fairy tale. So like they play characters who are like iconic um, fairy tale characters. Like there's a guy that plays Pinocchio, a guy that plays the frog prince. Uh, his thing is that like he had, stopped being a frog but then as his wife started to fall out of love with him in their happy ever after because he was kind of like a you know a poncy little shithead he started turning back into a frog and so he's like a human-sized frog man for the whole show um which i just think is a very funny inversion of that they end up amicably divorcing it's very funny but uh they have a, a sleeping beauty who is like half torn up by the briars that had been protecting her uh they've got a little red riding hood who turns into a werewolf um who's the last one? Oh, and puss in boots is a character as well the point being they all play like iconic fairy tale characters but like in a much darker version of all the stories and uh it's like very horror inspired That's and very cool. creepy so it was fun it was a good good new season 
And uh, if you are a fan of D&D at all, definitely check out Dropout. They have like a hundred seasons at this point of really, really high quality uh, D&D story content. Mm, cool. Um, I don't have as extensive of a book update as you, but I have continued reading, which I think is like good on me considering last year at the in our end of year episode I said I had read two books for the year and then and then I started reading a ton and so like pretty much end of November through early March of this year I was averaging about 15 books a month I was reading but I did fall really off. good yeah really good but then April May I definitely fell off because I started I've started riding my bike daily, which has been really lovely since the weather got nice, which means I've been reading less. Um, but I'm still reading about three a month, which, you know, is good. <laughs> also not bad. Yeah. And I particularly enjoyed reading um, Shirley Jackson's whole kind of back catalog. She's great. Um, obviously, I watch like a ton of shows and movies, so I don't even, I, I'm not even going to touch like the stuff that I'm loving that are not new but new stuff that I that I really loved um, the show Jury Duty, <laughs> which yep. I don't think you tried, but Amazon Prime. I did try. I watched up until James Marsden gets introduced, and I just cringed right out of there. I just couldn't do it. Yes. He sat down, and somebody starts talking to him as a fan, and I'm like, I can't. I love it so I can't much. look him straight in the eye. So I good at again. It. I appreciate intellectually <laughs> what they've done here. I cannot be in the audience. Yeah, it's interesting just because like. I don't know how I feel about it ethically. I think it's, I think the guy, the guy who was like gaslit the whole time, I think that is not great. And like, they give him a ton of money at the end to try and be like, it was a fun experience, but I don't know if he really, I don't know if it was a fun experience. I did see like, interestingly, I'm not even going to Google it. Like I'm not going to give the whole premise, but I did see recently that he was having some struggle with paranoia after and like texted James. I, I was just going to say that, James Marsden like, specifically and was like, I feel like cameras are still following me. Like, I'm just, I don't know what to believe is real and not real. And like James was on the phone with him for like three hours trying to like talk him no. down. And so it's like, it's nice that the people involved are staying in touch with him. And it's obviously like he was unemployed when he, when he got what he thought was just like, a documentary about jury duty that's the you know premise of the show and he obviously now has like a hundred grand out of that and so I'm sure he's I'm sure he's happy but has probably very mixed feelings because it's like a, it's a fucking weird thing to do to a person and so I loved it I enjoyed it so much as a viewer and as like a filmmaker the last episode they show you all the behind the scenes of how they pulled off certain things so I loved that point of it but also I was like I feel like this is unethical and not okay like what they did to this guy so yeah yeah because yeah I can I was gonna say before you even mentioned he was still feeling paranoid I'm like yeah I mean we already are so much more public than we have like as a society mm -hmm. as we ever were you know with like people making TikTok content about strangers in the subway and stuff like that but like adding on this element that right. it might be like an official production fucking with you like yeah I don't love the precedent that sucks. no yeah I just I have like very mixed feelings about it from that perspective but it was such an entertaining show that was also really lovely because he was very likable and like 
seeing him react to situations with that were really absurd that he thought was real. So he was trying to be like nice about or respectful when it was just like ridiculous was really entertaining and seeing the actors like having to stay in character. It was just a very, it was a fun watch, but yeah, I mean like for him, you know, he thought he was making also friends. Like he thought he was making real friends and then to find out that they were, you know, actors and like, it has, it appears as if they've, some of them have really stayed in touch, but it's still such a like weird, it's a weird gray area, but I enjoyed the show and I, and I, yeah, like I recommend it because I think it is like from a, from a filmmaking perspective, really interesting. Um, and then I also really loved also on Amazon class of 07, which. Oh yeah. I, I didn't write that one down, but I remember you talking about it's this. It's so funny. I graduated high school in 07. So there's like a level of the nostalgia factor for me, especially the soundtrack, but it's just such a delight. It's basically like yellow jackets, except instead of them in high school getting stranded, they're at their 10 year high school reunion and they get stranded Ooh. and it's in New Zealand and winter isn't an issue, but, and it's a comedy, but um, it's so funny and so incredibly nuanced. Like the, the characters sort of fall back into their high school personas. And so it creates like weird hierarchies and drama and tension, but even like the villains of the show are really fleshed out um, and really like, they feel very real and lived in and nuanced. And, and, and yeah, I just like, I, I found it so delightful. It was such a good show by the end of it. And it was so funny the way it like subverted certain TV tropes and also, I think, handles depression and, like, what it would look like to have depression in a post-apocalypse. It handles it really well, um, I, I feel. And, and so I, I really recommend it. And it's, like, all women. The entire cast is an all-girls school, so it's all women. Oh, nice. I don't think there's a single... The opening scene has a man on screen, but I think that's the only time a man is on screen, if I recall correctly. Maybe there's flashbacks of one guy, uh, I think, but very minimal. And it's got a nice amount of representation across the board for New Zealand's diversity. Yeah, it's just a delight. I really recommend it. And I don't know. I like the. Sh I don't even know if I kind of want to. I don't know if I want to mention it. Like I love the show Beef, but I don't. I don't love the decisions that were made. And you should read about that. And it makes me really angry at the lead actors who were producers on the show and the creator writer director I think it's disgusting the decision that they made and so I wouldn't I wouldn't watch it now I wouldn't watch it again because like from a just an ethics perspective I think they made the wrong choice they cast someone who they could have passed cast anyone in that role like it was unnecessary that they cast this particular person um that said I'm so glad I watched it the moment it came out and like didn't know any of that because then I, I would have not I would have refused to watch it on principle and would have missed out on like an incredibly just amazing piece of piece of art um and so I just have such mixed feelings about it and it's just like such a shit shitty thing that they could have just not chosen to cast a friend of theirs who told a story about raping a black woman is the backstory. Whether like who it, they say now is not a true story, but regardless, it was told as a joke. And then the way it was handled, like he clearly is not remorseful and has never been so. The writing and everything involved was just so sharp and so, and as you know, as an Asian American, I really appreciated seeing representation of East Asian Americans on screen. It was just, 
yeah, it was just like, it could have been something so wonderful for representation because it was such an excellent series. And it was just like ruined by a shitty decision that everyone involved made to just, I don't know, platform their friend. Like if you want to stay friends with someone who makes fun of raping someone, that's like a personal decision, but you don't need to cast them and give them a platform. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, well, I, I only watched the pilot before all that came out, but the pilot was excellent. Yeah. It was stressful. It was on the line for me about like if I can handle this. But yeah, the performances were magnetic. Yeah. They're like the escalation is just so cathartic, even if you hate both of them. Yeah, yeah it's just a shame. And the way uh, and the way it all comes home. full circle, like I don't know, I just because it's such a thing about generational trauma and 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 sort of unchecked anger, like not expressing your emotions, holding your emotions in. And, and there's just so much richness to it. And like, and the specificity of the East Asian experience in that part of, of LA. And like, I don't know, it's just, it's just so, it's such an unfortunate thing because it had a really great message in the end that was like nuanced and complicated and then to just like I mean it's funny how many like terrible decisions made even just specifically in Hollywood are so easy to avoid yeah like just make one less bad decision just one yeah you know but yeah so if you want help processing things like this we have a whole episode about it in season two question mark season one I think it might be season one sometime in the past (laughs) yeah it was a a, a booby classic yeah. An episode about loving things by problematic people. Yeah. So. Um, and then the last thing I'll just say is uh, I saw the movie Polite Society in theaters and also a delight. Really recommend. Um, which, what, which one is that? It's what, See, I'm telling you, I'm so disconnected from what's going on right now. It's a British comedy w- about a Pakistani family, particularly a young girl in high school who her dream is to be a stunt artist and so because of that there's like a hyper hyper reality where her arguments and everything play out with fight sequences some like you know broy assholes have been like oh it's just scott pilgrim but it's really not like okay fine the fight sequences are similar but like scott pilgrim didn't invent that you know and doesn't have you can sound like nothing else can also ever Scott, do. Yeah, I was gonna say Scott Pilgrim is like a very specific movie about a very specific thing. Just because there are high concept comedy fight sequences yeah. does not mean that everything with high concept comedy fight sequences is Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, but so watch another movie. So yeah, it was wonderful to have like a Pakistani Muslim woman director tell the story about a Pakistani Muslim family, which you very rarely see. And it was just such a wonderful blend of like buddy comedy because it's it's really a movie about sisterhood but her sister who um was in art school and dropped out starts dating a guy from like a snooty family and the main character believes that he's evil his family is evil and so she is like trying to get her sister out of the marriage and and so it's sort of like it's it's got similarities to our film, actually, our script, in that it is like kind of a heist comedy. And the feminism aspect of it feels somewhat similar to ours, like the sort of commentary of it. It has a very, it like very specifically comments on South Asian heteropatriarchy, um, which I appreciate because like you don't see that 
very often that specific, the specific nuance of that patriarchy. It's like what it's kind of commenting on and, and rebelling against um, while still being a love letter to the culture and to, and like the music is such a great, it has like Bollywood influence, Bollywood music influence with sort of like heisty soundtrack beats. I just, yeah, I love the movie. Um, I really recommend it. I think it's still in theaters. Uh, by the time yeah, it comes I was just, out. I'm literally checking my <laughs> local AMC right now. And the theater near near me has been doing a lot of revival screenings. So that's been really fun. I did, they did a whole Hitchcock series back in, I think it was April. Um, it might've been late March. And friend of the pod who we mentioned earlier, Ryan Kramer came up to visit and we, he watched a bunch which made, with me, which was really fun. And they're screening The Thing this Saturday, tomorrow. So I'm going to go see that. I'm really excited. It's one of my favorite movies, especially when you get to see it, like the film projection from a projector that is designed to project film, 35 millimeter film. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd, yeah. Um, I cannot imagine ever noticing that. And I, I so appreciate that you do, but could not be further from my experience <laughs> of consuming media. I am such a 21st century hack. Well, yeah. I mean, seeing, okay, I have to say seeing Psycho on the big screen was possibly one of my favorite experiences ever. Like this, uh, the score, especially with the sound system they have in the theater, it was just such a, so lovely. I mean, Hitchcock is like, a piece of, it was a piece of shit human and I'm glad like I can spend money and know it's not going into his pocket dead. yeah he's dead exactly um but his movies man I mean he could make a movie and some of them were just like I rewatched Rear Window which also is similar to our script in various ways or like our script kind of references in various ways and it really is a masterpiece like I know that you know like navel gazing film bros say that and like I'm the first person to be like, okay, shut the fuck up. Like when they do it about something like Fight Club or whatever, like get over yourself. But I just have to say that your window really is a masterpiece. <laughs> um, and so seeing that on the big screen, which I had never done, I had only seen it in film school. Like that was the last time I watched it and seeing it was just wonderful. So I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying like my local art house theater and all the revival screenings and getting to watch them pretty much with like no one else in the theater with me, which is just so great too, uh, because I'm still very COVID conscious. And so I feel like I'm finally enjoying my town, which uh, I did a little bit last year, but we had so many like home renovations. And of course losing Addie was, you know, awful. And, um, and so this like late spring into now, I feel like I'm really finally loving where I'm living and, and getting the full fullest of it and been doing walks with my neighbor too over by this reservoir by the water and so yeah it's just been it's been nice obviously there's always shit to be aware of but for the most part it's been it's been nice well that's that sounds lovely <laughs> i i love that you're getting to know your area i'm slowly doing that here i'm more so now that we have a car leaving la a lot more which i prefer mm. I like our area a lot. And, you know, we just signed at least for another year in this particular apartment. But um, yeah, I, I, I miss what you are experiencing, having like a, a place, a community. Yeah. I don't really feel like I've had that since pretty early in my time in New York and even more so since my time in college. But someday. Yes. Someday. <laughs> and in the meantime, I have a car and I can escape whenever I want to. Yeah. 
I am three years so older recorded. than her, so I think it's like that's you true. Know, balance is- you are extremely ancient. Yeah. When you said that you ex- uh, graduated from high school in 2007, I was like, "Ugh, crypt keeper." <laughs> um, I say, having graduated in 2010, um, <laughs> such a young buck. And I finally got to the age where my mom is making concerned comments about how it's totally okay if I don't have kids if my body can't handle it. And I was like, "Excuse <laughs> you." <laughs> I'm 31. So I guess the final update for me, because I, I literally just got this email. Apparently a um, poetry anthology that I was published in last year was a finalist in the Indie Book Awards in the oh, social cool. justice category. Congrats. So I still have poetry stuff going on. It's been, it's, it was all old poetry. I mostly just like updated a couple of old slam poems. But a friend of mine from high school who I used to do speech and debate with is now like basically the gay guy from my hometown, even though he didn't grow up in my hometown. And so he does a lot of like pride organizing and things like that. And he's all, he also runs the slam poetry community down there now. Um, and he invited me to submit some of my old poems to their queer anthology called Slamming Bricks. Um, and I got a couple of poems in and now they're an Indie Book Award finalist, which is cool. That's cool. So. I'm I'm having success in every kind of writing, but screenwriting. <laughs> <laughs> for now, oh. for now, nah, for now. I yes, important to recenter positively. <laughs> okay, I feel like they're updated. Do you feel like yes, they're updated? One hundred percent. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them are in our episode description. And thank you to our Booby VIPs who are our $10 supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash breakingoutpod if you want a shout out at the end of every episode, just like our great friends Brandy Nicole, Kelsey Rauber, and Norman Steinberg.